way in which we are growing, even in strength. Um, I can say so much about, about it, but I find that uh, in some ways, my home in BCF is in this, in this prayer. Yeah. Uh, it is when God, in some ways, God defines church in Matthew 18 when he says, uh, when two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. Yeah? You're actually gathered together. You know? um, what we want to try to do is to actually do something a little bit different, to actually have an option for people to actually meet in person and pray in person and come here. And uh, what we are interested in doing is also, also, if you are interested in being involved in worship uh, for this prayer, uh, daily prayer, and you play an instrument, let us know about it. Because we may have worship as well with instruments for our daily prayer. We, we may not be able to do it every day, but certain days we will be able to do it. Those of you who are interested, uh, let us know about it. Yeah. All right, turn with me to uh, Psalm 81. Psalm 81. And I'd like to talk a little bit about freedom and liberty. Yeah? The freedom and liberty that God has when we launch out into the deep. There's a, there's a level of freedom and liberty that God gives to us that is not actually necessarily what we think it is. We tend to think in the liberal sense, uh, since the Enlightenment, as liberty as the absence of restraint. Yeah? The absence of restraint. And there's a way in which we can define liberty as not being hindered, and not being cramped or controlled or oppressed. And there are ways in which that is, could be true. But the liberty of God is something that is far deeper. It, is, it has an intrinsic quality. It is a, not a negative quality in which no restriction, but it is a positive quality of liberty from the center, from the inside. And so that liberty is something that is much more than the absence of restraint. It's the presence of something far greater. Yeah? I'd like to talk a little bit about that because um, that, is, that is one of the main characteristics of launching out into the deep. Let's look at this in Psalm 81. Um, we'll read actually from verse 6. I relieved his shoulder of the burden, talking about Israel. His hands were freed from the basket of Egypt. Presumably baskets that were carrying bricks for the building of the pyramids. You called in trouble or in distress, and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder or the secret place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. So God's answer to the cry of the slaves of, of, in, in Egypt for liberty and freedom from slavery was to remove them from the actual physical slavery. But it was more than that because his answer involved the secret place of thunder or the hiding place of thunder, thunder as well as the waters of Meribah. And that's where the deeper liberty that goes beyond the physical situation that they were in begins to operate. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder, or the secret place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you will listen to me. Let there be no strange God among, among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. For I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. That is something that is more than just restraint, uh, the, the absence of restraint. It is actually the filling of ourselves with something supernatural, something of God. And he's saying, open your mouth wide. How much do you want? What's your capacity to be filled with me? Yeah? Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their hearts to walk in their own devices. And then in verse 13 to verse 16, there are four regrets, yeah, four regrets that God has 
How many of you know that God does regret things? Yeah. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways, I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn their ha my hand against their adversaries. So what he's saying is this, there's a would've, there's a could've for us. And he addresses this would've, could've, isn't that an American phrase? Would've, could've, could've, yeah. A would've happened or could've happened. What God is saying is this, there's a, there's, a, there's a situation you're inhabiting now that need not be that way. It need not be that way, okay? Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him, and their time of punishment would be forever. I would feed you with the finest of the wheat. Yeah? We will be fed, not only materially, but with, with the Word of God, with revelation, with His speakings. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. You would be satisfied. You would not be hungry. You would not be always unsatisfied, always having to look elsewhere for satisfaction. He's talking about the deep freedom, a deep liberty that uh, he, had for, he has for us. And I'm reading this chapter because of the fact that, partly because of the fact that you may be able to identify with these woulda, couldas, in the sense that perhaps you are feeling that your life could have been better, should be better. And you're wondering if I'm a Christian and God promises all these good things, why am I not experiencing it? Yeah? Why am I not experiencing it? And so I believe that God really comes to us today, not just teach us teachings, but to actually set us free, to address parts of us in which we have regrets, or it's not quite what we expected, or our life isn't that satisfying. Yeah? And so I'd like to talk about that, because it shows in Psalm 81 that God actually had in mind for them to experience a deeper liberty, a deeper satisfaction than just getting freed up from Egypt. Yeah, more than, he had more than that. He said, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. Yeah, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. That's an interesting situation, isn't it? Because uh, what, is, what is that? How is that going to make us free? How does it make us more at liberty uh, from God? But I just want to say that, that some of us may have, have, have uh, uh, regrets. And it sometimes sounds, when we read the verse 13 and verse six to, to verse 16, I would have, I would have, I would have. Actually, I want to put it to you that actually what God is saying is that it's not too late. That we have this verse these verses in the Bible is because God is warning us. He's actually wanting to set us free from a situation in which there is only regret. Yeah? And so, if you are experiencing a situation in which you don't have that liberty, you don't, you're not satisfied, I think God has a word for you. I think God wants you to be not regretful in your life and myself as well. Yeah? So I feel that the Lord is doing something. He's drawing us deeper as a church into Him, launching us into the deep. But there are some things about the deep that we, that we would need to actually understand. Okay? All right, let's pray. We ask God to speak to us. Lord, we ask you that we will not just hear words, but we will, in these words, hear your voice. So we ask you that even now that you come, Come and set us free by your word. I sense that there are some people who have great fear and great anxiety. And the Lord wants to set you at liberty from fear, from anxiety. There's something about that that um, has been clinging to you for a while. And you've been praying about it. But God has been taking you through layers and layers to set you free from these 
multi-layers of anxiety and freedom and to set you free. I feel that God is about to speak in such a way that it will deliver us in our distress. So we welcome you, Lord. Come, bring your word like a hammer that destroys every bondage in us. Every anxiety, every fear, the fear of the unknown, especially the gloom of fear in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. What is he talking about, this secret place of thunder? If you'd like to turn with me, uh, please do, to um, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 4. And what God is speaking about is a deeper liberty that he wanted to bring to the children of Israel, but which he could not. Which he could not. Yeah? And because of the fact that these words of Scripture are available to us, it's a testimony to the fact that it's not too late. It's not the end of the game. Okay, let's read. Um, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter four, and we will read verse ten. Deuteronomy is um, Moses' summary summation of all the things that the children of Israel have done, what God's intention was, and how the children of Israel should live before they entered into the promised land. Moses was not going to enter into the promised land. God was going to take him and bury him himself. And so Moses leaves his people with these commandments. Some of these commandments are recallings of what God had done and explaining to them the meaning of God's dealings with them. Yeah? And so Moses recounts their encounter with God at Mount Horeb, where God revealed himself. This is the incident that I, uh, Psalm 80 or 81, which we read, is talking about when he talks about the fact that he answered them in the secret place of thunder. Yeah. So Moses recalls this incident and he's speaking to the children of Israel. This incident is far in the, in the past and Moses is right now at this point in which the children of Israel are ready to possess the promised land. But it's very important for them to understand how God is going to be moving and understand the condition of their own hearts as well, what the dangers are as well. So he recounts, verse 10, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may listen, they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire. That's scary. Talk about fear. Burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens. Can you imagine that? That's so intense. I never read that before. <laughs> burned with fire to the heart of heaven. Can you imagine that? That's really serious. Yeah, that's serious fire, right? And in some ways, we are moving from the shallows into a serious relationship with God. Alright, they burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens. Darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Thick gloom. The presence of God brings thick gloom. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. So you couldn't see God. You saw no form, only a voice. How do you see a voice? Yeah. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Verse 14, the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So watch yourselves carefully, since you did not see any form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, so that you do not act corruptly. So Moses is saying, this, God came to you invisible, the way He is. 
He cannot be reduced to a form or a metaphor. He cannot be reduced to an idol. He cannot be reduced to a physical form that can be seen. In fact, the only way in which they could hear to, 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 to apprehend God was to hear Him. And what they heard was so scary. But they were seeing God unvarnished, so to speak, un, un, unmasked. He was not some kind of processed form of God. He was God sort of in the raw. Sort of in the raw. Would you say that? Yeah? God as He really is, so, so to speak. Actually, later on, Hebrews even said, that glory wasn't even the full thing. Right? If they had actually saw the full thing, they would have, been, they would have dissipated long ago. They would, that was not even the full thing. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that. Yeah? But they saw God in a form that was real. The real God. Not domesticized God. A real God. The God who is really scary, not because he's malicious, but because he's God. Does that make sense? We want to be, we want to be protected by a safe God. Right? Who we can feel safe. And what we mean by safe is that we can just relax, think what we think, do what we do, without any consequences. Without any hearing back from God about it. I like that sometimes. I just grow, grow up sometimes. I'd love it when my mom's back was turned. That made me feel safe. Now we have laws that says if you are seen, you are not safe. And therefore, we must get rid of those laws. Or rather, that, that we, should, we, should, we should allow ourselves to be unseen. So that we will be safe. There's some truth in it, I suppose. But there's a way in which... The children of Israel were about to face a God who could see them in every way. It's almost as if you seeing God is overshadowed by God seeing you. You never see God as much as God sees you. Every time you're looking at God, God is looking even more at you. You know, you can't examine God like a, something in the, under, the, under the microscope. God is more intensively looking at you than you ever look at Him. And you can't even see him. So you, that was the God that they were going to see. And Moses say, was careful to say in both those times, as well as other, other times in that same chapter, he had no form. You saw no form. Now don't make a form. Don't reduce him to some kind of analogy. Okay, don't uh, uh, reduce him to some kind of form or figure or, or some so, sort of pretty picture of him. You don't do that because when you do that, you will lose sight of God as he really is. Right? Okay, so that's what, that's what he was saying. And the people had a certain reaction. Turn with me please to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And he talks more about it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Okay, verse 22. Here, verse uh, verse 1 to verse 21, it contains the Ten Commandments. Moses is telling them what God had given to them and written on the tablets of stone. Let's look at verse 22. These words, Yahweh the Lord, spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick gloom with a great voice. Okay? And so this is what happened. He added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me. Okay? All the heads of your tribes and your elders, you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and His greatness. And we have heard His voice from the midst of the fire. Oh, his voice comes from the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he, man, lives. Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, then we will die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and live? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God says, then speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you and we will hear and do it. Just don't let us hear him directly. 
And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. There's an irony there. You're supposed to catch it. We're supposed to catch that. God is not saying, I'm so happy that they responded to that. What he was saying is, well have they said. They said what is in their heart. They said it truly. Okay? This is what they really feel. Okay? That's what they really want. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Doesn't that remind you of Psalm 81 when God says, Oh, if you had just listened to my voice, yeah? And you have done this, and there's all these regrets. And what God is saying is this, I'm giving you what you want. I answered you for your call for liberty. I'll give you what God would give you. I will give you what God would give you. But you don't want it that much. You want something less. Because you're afraid that your life would be changed. You would lose yourself. Because he said, we will die. Please don't. I don't want that. I will die. And what God is, was hearing was that they would actually want to retain their life, miserable though it was, rather than to meet God and experience the liberty that God would give. Make sense? And what they said is this, we'll have something better. You speak to God, and then you can write it all down for us, and we can read it. Okay? We'll read it, so that we'll be one remove away from God. But you stand between us and God. Because Moses, you're a good guy. Every time we see you, you're smiling. You're the most humble person on the earth, God said. And I like that. I like that humility. Can you ha- be the p- person through whom God's glory refracts? So that what we get is the Moses form of God. Rather than the God form of God. Does that make sense? God heard it and He says, I, Well have they said so. Because I brought them up and I asked you to bring them up to the mountain so that they'll hear my word. Remember that? And fear me. Remember that? In, in Deuteronomy chapter 4. That they will hear my word and they will, hear me, and they will fear me. What He's saying is this. Not... They will read my word, then they will fear me, but they will hear my word. And my word, what a hearing that would have been. Because God grumbled, rumbled about in such a way that the, 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 the trumpet and the sounds of, of, of heaven were so great that they just made them scared. I was going to make a reference to the toilet, but I better not. He made them so uncomfortable that they felt that that would shake their life as it was, as they knew it. It would shake the originality of who they were in person. They would shake their whole life so much so that their life would not be in their hands. They would be, they would be traumatized for life. And God says, I want them to hear my voice. Right? Hear my voice. So, what God was wanting was not them to know just the commandments which they could read up and Google themselves. But they wanted, He wanted them to have a hearing. Hearing the, the quality of His voice. Because His person was in the voice. Okay? Because that would free them up. How? We'll talk about that. Yeah? He says, I want them to hear my voice so they will fear me. And that fear will not be the fear that causes them to be not free anymore, but there will be a fear that will make them free. They will face something, and I will come to them, and they will come to them in such a way that when they have a revelation of me, they will experience the thick gloom. When Peter caught a, caught a vision of that 
a revelation of God in his, in his real person. He said, depart from me, for I am an unclean man. Remember that? There's something about God coming that makes us, if we really are honest with ourselves, want to just get out of that experience. God, just get away. I don't like it. We are used to experiencing God in a nice way. Nice God. Right? A nice God. Actually, He's better than nice. He's, he's more loving than nice. He's more powerful on our behalf than nice. He's so powerful that He'll destroy all your enemies. In fact, all His power is on your behalf. And you may be afraid of your protector, but your protector is so powerful that He'll protect you and destroy your enemies. That's what God was saying. He says, if only you had listened to me, open your mouth wide, don't go for this process, God, you know, I would have destroyed all your enemies. I'll make the enemies of God actually even pretend to be obedient to Him. What God was basically saying is this, I want to, to cause you to have an encounter with me as I am. I want to take you out of your process, God. You know, I never heard of Chinese food until I came to America. That's called chop suey. How, have you heard of chop suey? What is that? Chop suey, processed Chinese food. Come on. Chinese food that's called chop suey. What is that? That's not Chinese food. That's just food that's accommodated to the taste of more barbaric tastes. Just kidding. We want a processed God. We want instant oats instead of steel-cut oats. We, what, that's what we want. We want a God that's domesticated, the God who's nice enough to make us feel comfortable, so comfortable that we can do a lot of things behind His back. That's the kind of God we want. And that's the kind of God most Americans have. Don't talk about just Americans, Malaysians, Singaporeans, all, of, all the rest of us. This is the God that we all want, all over. It's a global thing. Whether you're in the global south or global north, you're the same. The same. Don't kid me. There is no more romanticism in people who are foreign. They're just as much sinners as the Americans. This is the kind of process God we want. We want that kind of God. That God that can be reduced to what's written, what's read about, and what's mediated through a human nice guy like Moses. And because of that, in another situation, when Moses came down with his face shining with the voice of God, that's not even the glory of God on the mountain. It's just something even smaller. They said, it's making us feel uncomfortable. Please put a, a mask over, a veil over your, yourself. And then he, in Second Corinthians chapter 3, it says, because of that, when Moses put out that veil, that veil is still on them. I would put it to you that when Psalms 81 is written, okay, or is written or inscripturated, it is many, many years after that incident, he's saying, because God allowed them to go their own way, they are still in this place of regret. Because of that. And God says, I will let them go according to their own sins, their own ways. Now, may I suggest to you that actually what God is doing sometimes when we are seeking a more greater liberty is that He's coming before us. And what that does is that it makes us feel uncomfortable because we experience experiences that make us feel gloomy. Not because God is gloomy, because sometimes when we are, God is drawing us close, we begin to see ourselves for who we really are. And we see ourselves as actually more weak than we used to be. I can tell you of things that I am experiencing as I grow older that make me feel that the things that I was able to do when I was younger are very difficult for me to do now. Okay? And if you're thinking you're, you're going to lose yourself because of coming to God, you will anyway. Even whether you come to God or not, you're going to lose that. 
I used to be able to preach, and I didn't even think about what the sentence, what, what, what sentence I was going to say. I'd begin the sentence, and I'd just keep going, and the words will just come. Nowadays, when I try that, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Oops, what am I going to say? And I can't find the word. I can't find the word. And because I can't find the word, I'm much more careful. I used to wonder why old people walk a certain way. The way I walk now. It's not because I'm going through a hard time. It's because of the fact that entropy is setting in. Does that make sense? But there are times in which, as we are seeking God, we do experience the gloom. It says God came to him, and there was a certain gloom that's there. The gloom that perhaps um, Peter felt when he said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. It's the gloom that discovers us for what our situation really is in respect, respect to God. And sometimes when we are facing such weakness, such gloom, such darkness, such discouragement, or such shaking that happens, we want to run away from that. And I want to encourage you today that when you experience that, when you experience the, your powers, your weaknesses, and the gloom of that, the gloom that tells you that you are not that, you are not really in a place to criticize others, to be contentious of others, to be so sure of yourself. That's a good thing. Because what God is doing is stripping off the stuff that makes us further away from God, made us safe because God was small. But if you want to experience the liberty of God, the satisfying of God, you have to see God for who you are. I think that's what God is doing to bring us to launch into the deep. What say you? Okay, let me get back to my notes so that I don't get too far off. You see, nowadays I have to stick close to my notes. The gloom sometimes that comes, the thick gloom. See, can you see that? I'm going to refer you to that in verse 22. The words of the Lord, the, these words the Lord spoke to you, all your assembly on the mountain, from the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick gloom. And sometimes when we are seeking God, if we do experience this, not because God is malicious to us. But there's just the way in which as God is drawing close, who we are as we really are begins to be more clear, more revealed, and it humbles us. It shakes us to the core. Yeah. And what we want to do is to actually retreat to a processed God, the God of culture, the God who is so positive and is nice that he can be pocketed into our own desires. But that kind of God becomes really small. He can't do much for you. Yeah? So he says, of the cloud and the thick gloom, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets. We are afraid of losing ourselves. We are afraid of losing our control. And we opt for a processed God. Just like instant oatmeal. Easier to eat. Easier to relate to. But it's a, not a real one. We'd rather see God in the comfort of a, maybe a library or a CD or something. And the thing about that's uncomfortable about this is that when God is trying to set, set us free, we do go through a certain period in which we are shaken. And when we are shaken, we feel we want to get out of that. I want to suggest to you that actually what God is imploring us to do is to stay there. Don't run away. Don't run away. Don't opt for some other kind of God. Don't opt for a fake God or a processed God. Amen? Stay in there. Because one of the hardest things about seeking after God is His invisibility. 
It's really hard. And to be able to hear the voice of God, imagine that God wants us to hear His voice, to be intimate with Him. And as you know, when you get to, go, as you get to know someone, you begin to see the person as he or she really is. And you want to withdraw because of the fact that there are things that you don't like about that person. And so what God does is that He draws us close to Him. And as He does that, we begin to see ourselves for who we really are. And it doesn't feel well. I sense that there are some of us who are actually in the midst of, as you're, even as you're saying, I want to go deeper. And I got deeper. And immediately you're hit with fear. Your fear hit with anxiety. It may be not fear of God. It may be fear of circumstances. Certain circumstances just not lining up well for you. There's a gloom that's setting over you. It's hard. You decide that you want to follow God, but you're actually experiencing the gloom, the hardness of it all. And because of that, that hardness is doing something. You know what it's doing? It's bringing you, to a, you and I to a point of not being able to rely on anything. The feeling of like not having anything you can rely on. Not anything that's there as a resource. Not anything that makes you feel safe. You feel the unsafety so clearly. You feel the, the lack of control so clearly. The lack of resources, the gloom so clearly. And what I, what, what I appreciate about our worship today is that our worship was speaking out against that. Don't you think? He's speaking that. He's speaking that. We acknowledge the gloom. We acknowledge that. But even as we worshipped Him, there's, He's in the waiting. If you can wait it out, you will experience the glory of God. But the first thing we want to do is to immediately reach out to some other God. Some other intermediary. Yeah? And sometimes we can do that in prayer as well. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. It's a very interesting situation. Um, I've never actually preached on Luke chapter 18. But it's the story of the Pharisee and the publican. Okay, let's look at this. Luke chapter 18. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. One good sign of those who are sanctimonious and, right, and righteous in their own eyes is how much they treat others with contempt. Yeah? Treat others on the other side or the under, who are not like them with contempt. That's a big, dead giveaway. They trusted in themselves and they were righteous, that they were righteous and reviewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And as you know, the tax collectors were considered very unclean because of the fact that they betrayed their own people for the sake of um, the Roman government, who was an oppressive government. But what, what, what was, was even worse is that the, the Roman government gave them a way in which they can collect taxes. They say, we want this, and everything else that you want, you can, you can add lawfully as a burden of tax upon the people. And so Zacchaeus was, was treated with contempt because of the fact that he, was, he had become very rich. It says in, in, in Luke, he was very rich because of that. Yeah? And so there's this other guy next to the, with the Pharisee, not really with him because he was pushed out to another corner, he pushed himself out to another corner, and he's a tax collector. So he well knew how lost he was. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Very happy prayer, right? Very happy prayer. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. Now look what's happening here. The Pharisee is using prayer to make himself feel good about himself, correct? He's clothing himself with self-affirmation. Now, and we can do that. We can do that. We can 
make ourselves feel more comfortable about ourselves by comparing us favorably with other people. So this is a prayer that was not seeing the glory of God and getting, getting scared. This is a prayer that felt really safe. He had built this clothing around himself that made him feel good about himself. Amen? And because of that, he was not really getting a revelation of God. He was praying this mainly to himself. Does that make sense? Prayer to him was a thing that made him feel good about himself. He was not interfacing with God. He was not coming before the silence and before the, 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 the invisibility of God and saying, Ah, he was saying, I feel good about prayer today. I feel good about myself. Thank you, Lord. Wow, that's good. I mean, what can you say? He was already giving thanks to God. He wasn't boasting. He was giving thanks. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that. Thank you, God, that I'm like this. So he could be heard, I'm sure. That's why it's recorded, right? Wow, he must have been loud. But can you see this? That What happens is that we can substitute a God who's like thunder with a God that is made up by ourselves. Like chop suey. We can actually make up a God that makes us feel safe, but never at liberty. And what God was wanting to do with the children of Israel was this, to set them at liberty, but the liberty can only come when you experience God who could swipe you out within one second. And you have to be like the tax collector who comes before the God and he's not talking to himself. He's not talking to other people. He's not gaining any affirmation from anyone from that, from that prayer meeting. He is beating his breast and coming before this God who should by any right destroy him completely. But he makes no claim no Bible verses to actually claim that he's got the righteousness of Christ. Now I've been set free by the blood of the Lamb and all that kind of stuff. None. He says, all I see is that before you, get away from me, Lord. I'm an unfruitful and I'm a, I'm a sinner. He sees himself as he is. Now, here's the thing. God will set us free when we allow ourselves to be honest with ourselves. Honest before God. Yeah? Honest before God, because when we are honest before God, we see ourselves as we really are. But then, as today's prophecy said, you set your eyes towards Him. Not upon yourself. Amen? When you set your eyes towards Him, you enter into depression. But when you set your eyes towards Him, you actually see yourself as you really are. But then you wait for Him, because He will give you a word. Remember how P Peter said, allowed himself to say, Okay, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. Right? But that's not the end of the conversation. What did Jesus say to him? Huh? Fear not. For from now on you'll be fishing for men. Men and women, of course. Yeah? He's saying, fear not. But Peter had to wait for God to say, fear not, right? He couldn't say, oh no, no need to fear because you're, you're already, the blood of the Lamb is already done. Yes, that is true. But he had to hear it. Just as the children of Israel, God said, I want them to have the fear of the Lord because they hear it. Not read it, but hear it. So he had to come before God in all his rottenness, his brokenness, and come before God and be at his mercy. Right? Jesus says, Look at this man. He, he went back justified. How did God justify that? That word justify in Greek tells us that he not only God, God gave him the objective, solid sense of being justified, being clear, being accepted, but in such a way that it could be proven to outsiders. This man got justified. He got free. Amen? But you have to wait for him. Because if you put words in God's mouth, you will never be sure. You will never be sure if God knows one more darker secret about you, whether He will forgive that one or not. So what He does is that He beats His breast 
And he claims no rights to forgiveness. No rights, even on the basis of the word, that he is righteous. He claims none of that. And when he, that, when he faces the, the darkness, he faces the, the gloom, he has to sit in it. He has to sit in it until the gloom lifts. Because if it doesn't lift, he is still in his sins. He is still in his sins. He cannot wrap himself like the publican, sorry, by the Pharisee in all his self-righteousness. He cannot do that. He has to let God speak the word. But because of what Christ has done, we know the word that he's going to speak. He knows that he has, he, he has taken our, our sins upon himself and he has justified us. But we may not have heard it. It's not that real to us. It's just an idea. Amen? What we are talking about is not whether we are set free in principle, theologically. We are talking about whether we are set free existentially in our life, in our soul, in our feelings, in our, in our, in our blood, in our bones. That we actually experience that freedom. Amen? So now what's happening is this. He had to sit there and wait. At some point though, God who is faithful took him through his sins took him through his repentance, took him through his self-realization, and he was brave enough to, to keep going until the light shone through. And he went back, justified. He could pass the, text, the, the, the Pharisee, rub shoulders at him. Are you justified? Oh, you're not, huh? <laughs> Just kidding. The publican experienced the gloom. Some of us are experiencing that gloom. I want to encourage you that in the midst of this, your prayers don't seem to be answered. The situation at home still, to be, still seems to be the same. The situation at work still seems the same. And you feel that every time you wake up in the morning, there's a gloom over you. Like a thick darkness. The more you pray, it doesn't seem to go away. Stay in there. Because God is releasing surrender to our lives. We're surrendering to Him. And we come to a place that, when that by the time we are completely set free, we will know that it is God that set us free. And nobody can take it away from us. No Egyptian can take it away from us. No other person can take it. Now it's hard because of the fact that you have to face the fact that God didn't come in a visual way. He said, there was no form. But you heard the voice. The word, the voice will come. Amen? I feel that today, our, our children need to experience some of that. There was somebody who I was kind of dis discipling, and they were very, ex and, and he was very ex excited about his children being able to hear the voice of the Lord, you know, that they could hear from God. And he wanted that for his children. But every time he would try to bring them to do their devotions, they feel, felt bored, they felt they are not hearing anything, nothing was happening. And yet the thought that God could actually speak to his children, no matter how young they were, was so amazing that their children could grow up hearing the voice of God, yeah, getting a word from God and all that. And so at a certain point, it was too difficult for them. And so he gave an alternate way. He said, you don't have to do that. I'll give you a book. You just read these passages. Yeah? And they got something out of it. They got something out of it because it edified them. Does that make sense? It edified them. So they knew every day where to turn to. What he really wanted was for his children to be able to come before God and God give them a word. But because God was taking them through sort of the, the hard part of waiting upon Him, He said, let's forget about this. At least I'll give them something. And later on, the children went through a very, very hard time with their Christian life. Because the earlier, the best time for a child to learn how to hear the voice of God is when they are really young. 
And I want to I want to encourage you. Just don't give up. Don't give up on it. Every one of us, in order to experience true liberty, a liberty that cannot be taken away, has to face God in the silence. Amen? You have to face God in the silence. And you and I, if you are parents, can walk through with them. Don't give up. Don't give up. You can be help. Uh, come, come, come alongside to help them. Because once they hear from God, when God breaks the silence and breaks the gloom, can you imagine what will happen for them? They will know how to go back and listen to the voice of God. There's a process that takes place during this gloom time. And so I love it that we sang the song, He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. It sounds good. But I believe that God, that's something that God has for us. I'm not saying that you know, reading other devotional books are not, is bad. It's good. You get edified. Actually, God actually can even use that. But I want to put it to you that what God has for us is not just something that takes the shoulder off your the, the sh- shoulder off the basket. He actually wants to give us a new, a dip, deeper liberty in our lives. Amen. God has more for us, and I just want to invite us to just bow our heads in prayer. Some of us are experiencing gloom. Not because God is putting that gloom in you. But there's something about when God is drawing close. It seems as if things begin to unravel. Not because he's malicious, but because things shake around him. But they can shake in a redemptive way in which we begin to see ourselves as we really are. And we begin to say, God, help me. Have mercy upon me. At whatever level of faith you have, have mercy upon me. And as a servant looks to the eyes of the master, one blink of an eye, one smile, one move of the head can set you free from fear, from anxiety, from angst. Lord, we bring before you ourselves the many burdens that we carry. Is it true that you have it in mind for us to be fed with honey from the rock so much that our hearts will be refreshed from a direct word that is sweet? That through the gloom you have sweetness for us. Is it true that you feed us with the fine, give us such revelation?